A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey there, you're listening to A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin Garcia. Welcome to episode 71. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Let's go ahead and just jump into some quick announcements real quick before we jump into the show. Um, Are you coming to Reformation Project next month? I hope you are. If you haven't picked up your tickets yet, you can go to reformationproject.org slash Orlando and grab your tickets there. Uh, I'm going to be doing a panel, I'm going to be leading worship, I'm going to be hanging out, it's going to be such a fun time, and if you've never been to a Reformation Project conference, this is the one to be at. Not only are we hosting some amazing, uh, world-class, talented scholars, speakers, activists, etc., but also Mama Tammy from Queer Eye is going to be there, and that's just going to be such a special time. So go ahead and get your tickets, and we will see you in Orlando in just a few weeks. Additionally, if you are going to the Q Christian Fellowship Conference, which is happening in January in Chicago, registration just opened up for that. So why don't you go ahead and grab those tickets while you're at it, especially while they're so cheap. You can go to qchristian.org to learn more. I am thrilled about the person on this podcast today. It's my friend, Matthias Roberts. And you know, I kind of, we kind of, I gush over him because I'm just so freaking proud of him and all the work that he's been doing. Um... You probably know Matthias from his podcast, Queerology, which is a podcast on belief and being, where he talks to so many amazing people about the intersections of faith and sexuality. It's uh, It's been a lot of really good stuff, some amazing stuff, and also lovely and different from the work I do, which is something he and I get to discuss in the conversation. A little bit about Matthias. Uh, he knows what it's like to hold onto faith and feel like you can't because of sexuality. He used to believe that you, the two couldn't exist, and like many people, he was taught the lie that gender and sexual minorities can't be Christians. Yet, when he realized he was gay, he started digging deeper into this theology, and what he found was people in the church that had been gravely wrong. Now he creates resources to help people fight bad theology so that LGBTQ Christians and allies can live competent and fulfilling lives, the lives that Jesus calls us to. Matthias Roberts holds an MA in Theology and Culture and an MA in Counseling Psychology, is a licensed mental health counselor in the state of Washington, and recently opened up his own therapy practice called Liven. I am super proud of him, and he also has a forthcoming book next year. Oh my gosh, I can't tell y'all how freaking thrilled I am about that. But I'm gonna stop gushing over him before he gets his ego out of control. Just kidding, Matthias. You're a beautiful, beautiful, humble, and amazing human. Um... Okay, done talking. Go ahead and grab yourself a LaCroix or a coffee or um, a tea. I recently started drinking a lot of iced tea, um, a non-caffeinated because the caffeine makes my anxiety get out of control, but that is um, another story for another time. So let's jump into this conversation with my BFF, Matthias Roberts. Hey friends, this is Kevin Garcia, and you're listening to A Tiny Revolution with Kevin Garcia. This is episode 70-something. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. Thank you so much for indulging me. You're welcome. <laughs> um, like we could, we could literally go in a thousand different directions. I don't know what we want to talk about. So, okay, there is one thing I do 
if you're willing to and up for yeah. it. Um, mm-hmm. So um, Matthias Roberts, host of Queerology, double master's degree from Seattle School of Psychology and Theology. Or is it it's, Theology and Psychology? It's Theology and Psychology, but no one's paying attention. <laughs> um, except for all of the recruits yeah. who want me to come there. Yeah. Or all of the uh, recruiters. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, you are um, a gay, a gay man. I'm a gay man. Um, you are someone who, you know, goes around, talks, speaks at stuff, does very similar work to me. Um, uh, where, do I, where do we want to start? Okay, if someone doesn't know you, which, like, is really hard to, like, not know you. But, like, <laughs> if someone didn't know you, what's your, like, pitch that you would give them at a cocktail party? Like, hey, I'm Joe Schmo, and you're Matthias. Like, what do you do? Yeah. You I feel like, like, I feel like I've, like like pinned this down so much that it almost feels cold <laughs> but i say hi my name is matthias i help lgbtq plus christians live confidently and then people are like oh <laughs> and then they usually walk away so <laughs> oh you're, i don't know if i can be friends with you because of yeah. that yeah so weird mm-hmm. um and so what what exactly does that look like how do you help lgbtq plus christians live confidently yeah I think like so I feel like I take a multi kind of prong approach or hope to. Uh I think one of the major things for me when I was like starting to come out and started realizing that I was gay and trying to like navigate this world of like my faith is really important to me and I don't necessarily see that changing. Um, how do I hold these things kind of in tension with each other? Um the the one of the major things was like, I didn't know really of anyone else at the time who was trying to do this like trying to reconcile those things, um, and so I think like through my podcast, I mean that's one way is like trying to like highlight and bring voices together of people who are on very very varied faith journeys. So mm-hmm. I mean it does kind of all center around Christianity or the Christian tradition for the most part not exclusively so um but like if you listen there's so many different expressions of that and so just to bring together people who we may not agree at all (laughs) on what the specifics look like but Mm -hmm. people who are working in those those intersections of trying to to be like yeah it's it's okay to be a person of faith and a queer person like those things are not mutually exclusive like, I feel like just hearing those stories is one way to, like, boost confidence overall. Um, and then I'm also a therapist. Uh, and so that takes a very tangible role as, like, sitting with clients. I work with queer people um, working into, like, the really deep stuff in our lives that can hold us back or that we need to work through in order to be able to to live more fully and, and more authentically. Um, and so that... I mean, that's very intense, deep work. Um, mm-hmm. That's another way. So, and writing, speaking, and theology. So, there's there's a lot in there. But <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I mean, I think that's, it sums it up pretty well. Um, I feel like what's so interesting is like, we've, um, like, online creative people who, like, it's like queer Christians who have, like, kind of built a platform or, like, you know, find themselves on, different stages it's almost like we've had to figure out um how to do this in real time Mm -hmm. because something i've talked about before with a few people is like 
sometimes like I get frustrated because like I'll try I'll try to do things the way other people have done it and it doesn't work. Right. Because in many respects we are doing this for the first time. Like we're kind of in some ways trailblazing these mm-hmm. spaces. Mm-hmm. And so like what is like as you were starting out with just because like we both kind of started out just just like in the blogosphere mm-hmm. because blogging was a real big thing a couple of years ago. Sure um, was. <laughs> it was the thing. Everyone, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is just like, oh, come listen, come read my blog. Yeah. And I'm like, and granted, I was one of them. So like when you were starting out, like what was what was the thing that got you started on wanting to start sharing your journey and experience of reconciling faith and sexuality? Yeah. I think my biggest goal with it was like I like I just said like I felt so alone as I was starting out this work and and I didn't want and don't want like this is one of my primary motivations I don't want anyone to have to go through that experience of feeling so isolated and alone in their faith communities in the same way that I did and and right. my story isn't particularly tragic like it like th- there's it's not super drama filled. Like, I mean, my parents aren't affirming. They probably never will be, but they Mm -hmm. like, there was no like big kind of dramatic story in my coming out, but like, uh, like isolation itself. Mm -hmm. So that, that sense of being isolated, feeling like you can't talk to anyone feeling like if anyone were to find out about the secret that you hold, like that, that causes isolation and isolation Mm -hmm. itself is inherently traumatizing. It is trauma. Uh, It's lowercase T trauma, but as it, as it builds up over time, um, it causes significant damage. Um, Yeah. And it becomes like the world in which you live in. And it's the only thing that you're used to. Yes. And then you don't know how to function in a more healthy environment because you have been conditioned to always be in survival mode. Exactly. Yeah. And so to, to be able to, to speak into that and to say, Hey, there's at least one other person out here. Um, that was kind of my thought with the blog. Cause I didn't know anyone else. Like there was like, when I started, it was like Matthew Vines had just released his YouTube video. So that was before he even wrote his book. Justin mm. Lee had just released his book. Like there were like, and and I wasn't super plugged in. I'm sure there were a lot more people doing it than I was aware of. But I was like, there are two other people out here who are like, they have big platforms already. But who who else is like, where's the normal people? Like, where are the people like me? <laughs> mm-hmm. So I started writing about it. Yeah. I think there's that sense of just like wanting to, like really like wanting to see yourself represented in certain ways. Yeah. Um. And even in, uh, you know, culture is getting better about this or getting more representation in mainstream media. I think it's interesting, like, even just in the past three years since I've come out. Because um, when did you come out? Like, four or five years ago? Yeah, it was December of 2013. Mm, that was the December before I graduated college. Mm. But I was still deeply in the closet at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, not deeply. I was, like, half in, half out. But, like, it's like anybody looking was just like, oh, yeah. That's a homosexual. But that that was a similar feeling to me of just not seeing myself like, because when you're in the Christian bubble, uh, especially in evangelicalism, 
you don't get like you, it's almost just like you're kept in the dark about different ways of thinking. Oh, totally. And then if there and if there's other different ways of thinking about stuff, they're almost demonized to be like written off as heresies or people who aren't true believers. Right. Um, and it's it's shocking to see, not shocking, but it's just so interesting to look at where I am now versus where I was just three years ago. I was a uh, uh, the other night I was just bored and I was like, you know, what? why don't I do some blackout poetry with some of like these old books that are really shitty theology. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had this book by, who is it? I have it next to me. John Mark Comer called Loveology. Oh, which, sounds like a podcast I've heard of. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> never heard of any <laughs> podcast by that name personally. <laughs> But like I went to this chapter entitled "Gay" and I just made blackout poetry with the entirety of the um, with the entirety of the chapter because it's so bad. It's it's so bad. Mm. And there's so much misinformation out there. There's so much bad stuff out there. So like getting to like for for me like when I saw like your work out there, I was like, oh my gosh, there's another one. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the most lovely revelations that one can have is that like. I always like, I've said this a few times, like the, the biggest lie the devil ever told us was that, was that we were alone. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I hope we do. And I think that, I think that's what we do. I hope it's what we do. Yeah. I yeah. hope so too. Well, my, okay. Here's pivot, hard pivot, because right. I think this is a funny story. Um, do you remember like when we first met? <laughs> I mean, yes, I am. I'm afraid of what might be coming after those words, but. <laughs> no nothing weird i just because like someone asked me how you and i met Mm -hmm. and i was like the first time me and matthias actually probably ever interacted on the internet was i dm'd him on twitter and asked him to be my roommate at trp yeah i feel like we'd like tweeted back and forth a little bit before then like i knew who you were when that dm came through mostly because i was pissed at you because Because i was like who is this bitch who just came out and is writing a blog that's my thing that's my Uh, thing (laughs) no one else can write a blog about gay stuff yeah (laughs) i mean that's totally real because like i think there's something interesting too that uh can happen a lot with the world we live in now like instagram and social media like we we see people doing things similar to us and like it's there's like the scarcity mindset that we've been trained up in that like mm-hmm. if this person gets success that means i'm never going to get success right if that person gets the attention i'm never going to get the attention and really this comes just from a need of being like a real legitimate need of like wanting to be seen and wanting your work to be validated absolutely which is not a bad thing mm-hmm. but it's it's that sense of like only one person can do this is so not true, but I feel like it, it's also isolating. Like I know, like when I was thinking about starting my podcast, like I, I I texted you and was like, so convinced that you would be like, hell no, you can't start a podcast. That's my thing. (laughs) (laughs) Really? That's funny. Yeah. Cause I was like, Kevin's going to be so upset that I'm thinking about starting a podcast um i think because of that same idea of like you were already doing it and and our work is so similar already that Mm -hmm. idea of like i think like it's that kind of idea of well and i also wonder if it has to do with some of that mindset of oppression um Mm. 
and not to say that I'm particularly oppressed by any means, but that idea of there can of that idea of like there can only be one minority in these certain spaces, and we see that with like mm. with like people who hold way more marginalized identities than what I hold of where there's like the one native American person, like that kind of thing. And so I feel like we get trained in that way by dominant culture. Right. There can only be one of us taking up that space of like, this is the gay Christian. This is the gay Christian podcast. Like all of that stuff that I feel like it, it isolates. I'm using that word a lot, but even for our own, let it it flow. Yeah. (laughs) Even for our own selves, we believe that lie that just because someone else is doing it means that I I can't do it. And that's not true. Yeah. I, that's something I have noticed. I'll get like little emails here or there um, of people who are interested in starting their own blogs, their own podcasts. And it gets, it's, it's, I have a twofold feeling when I see those things because I want to explain to people and just like, like, this is not for me, like as much as I love the creative process of blogging and podcasting and making videos, um, the true fact about it is that it is work and it does take time. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that um, when you open yourself up to a public platform, you open yourself up to public criticism. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people and myself included, I didn't anticipate that when I first started out and I made some blunders when I first started writing mm-hmm. um, about stuff, um, it, it was just really interesting. I remember like I wrote something for Bedlam that was just like, I had, I had never met a trans person. I didn't know how to talk about trans people. And like Elio Cruz just like read me on Twitter. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, whoop, there it is. That's, that's, that's one thing I think. And not just from people who like want you to do better, but from people like really just shitty people mm-hmm. like shitty comments and trolls and all that stuff. So how, like when you encounter those things, like what's your initial reaction to like the conservative Christian troll who doesn't really want to dialogue, but just really wants to tell you you're going to hell. Yeah. I mean, that's something I feel like you and I kind of take different perspectives on this. Like where you engage, um, I don't. And mm. so that's not, like years ago I was at a thing that Rob Bell was doing um and someone kind of asked him the same question like how do you like how do you deal with the trolls and like we all know rob bell has some (laughs) Some rob bell does he have some people who like are not in favor of what he does or his work (laughs) so both both he and Kristen, uh his wife um were kind of talking about like how they dealt with those those years of like particular intensity after love wins came out Mm -hmm. um and Rob said, he's like, one of my biggest pieces of advice that I can give you is, A, don't read the comments. Mm-hmm. B, if you do read the comments, don't respond to them. Um, and that took me, I mean, it took me, I think, over a year to actually get to the point of where I was able to truly implement it. Like, it was, it took me, I had to practice it. Like, I would write something and then intentionally have to practice not going and reading the comments. Mm-hmm. Now it's just like I do work. I have commenting turned off on most of my stuff, but so it's oh. like it's only on really like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook that people can comment on my work. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I'm writing for like Huffington Post or whatever, where comments are like naturally turned on, but on those, like I don't read them. And I also have because you, you know, there's something ego boosting about the comment section like whether it's positive or negative like right 
it, it kind of it feels really good to know that people are interacting with your work. But I have I have friends like for example last year I did a video series with a with a vlogger called that Christian vlogger on YouTube. Oh yes, yeah. yes, and that was that was kind of a, a big thing. I haven't read any of those comments, but I did ask. I had two friends who read the comments, went through the comments for me, and what sent me those are some good friends. Yeah, those are some really good friends. and sent me the positive ones, and like. That was something that was really cool. So I could, <laughs> I could get the ego boost without the... <laughs> without yes. the... <laughs> get the affirmation without having to go, like, wade through the toxic shit of the internet. Right, right. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's really smart. So, I'm stealing this idea. Yeah, get your friends to read the comments for you and have them send you all the good ones. And you can yeah. ignore and all the bad ones. ones. <laughs> Absolutely. Brilliant. But it works. And I don't respond. Like, and that took a long time to practice as well. Um and this is like none of these are hard and fast rules, but as a general policy, those mm-hmm. emails, all of those things, like I just, I just don't engage anymore because I don't have capacity, and it's not worth. It's it tiring. It's yeah. exhausting. Yeah, because like I, um, I think about like I do have friends who who do read their comments or like they do have like much more Twitter trolls than I do, and it can be one of these things where just like doing something as simple as turning on like words that you don't want to have appear in your timeline. Yeah. That's um, having uh, certain people, as soon as you see a troll hit that block button, Mm -hmm. um, which I've had to do like multiple times. I've had to ban people from the comment section on my blog because they just love to come out with the same shit every single time. Yeah. Although I will say there are a few like, Every now and again, like it's the one I just tweeted this earlier this morning that there was that uh, comment on my YouTube video about someone praying that I would turn away from my sexual immorality. And I also want I said, it's like, you know, I would pray that I would turn away from sexual immorality, too. Mm-hmm. Like, amen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just it's very interesting. Like, I don't respond to all of them. But if I do respond, it's usually just sarcastic because I am petty like that. Yeah. Which I don't know if that's helpful or hurtful or if it's uh, neutral. I don't. I, I it know. is what it is. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's something that I think we all get to decide on of how we really how we want to engage. And mm-hmm. like, we've each kind of found our ways that work for us. And yeah, yeah, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that just like as far as preserving our own mental health, it's it's a good rule of thumb like, to not read the comments. Yes, because otherwise we're we're just at, we're asking for like it's it's a matter of like where do you spend your energy, mm-hmm. you know? Because you know our personal energy is it's finite. Yes. You don't have like it, you will exhaust yourself. You will uh, end up resenting the work. I think sometimes mm-hmm. if you continually allow yourself to be pulverized by um, by hateful speech, um, and. You know, I think about it this way, just like we have to, like you and me, we're going to be doing this probably for the rest of our lives. Um, God willing in the creek don't rise and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Because as much as I would like to think that the world is, I know the world is changing for better. I do believe that it's like trending towards better because I can see like people's thoughtfulness growing and the resistance growing. But I think that in our lifetime, I'm not, it's almost like a, I don't know if you read Austin Channing's book, but at the, at the very end of it, 
it's is on, it on your reading list? It's on my. It's literally at the top of my pile on my coffee table right now, but I have not read it yet. <laughs> you are. Yeah. Admission. Yep, that's a confession. <laughs> and that's okay. You know, we hold space for you here. We just Aww. think that you're just your sacred person, and we just love you where you're at. Thank so, you. <laughs> um, but she said at the very end of her book, like she like, basically said like I had to allow hope to die so that I could continue my work that like she said basically I don't expect that in my lifetime that I'm going to see significant change as far as like dismantling systemic racism but I hope that for my kid my son that it's going to get better and that's why I'm working that's why I'm working for this and that's very similar to how, how I feel about the work too is that like I want to see I want to see some change in my lifetime and I think even in the last three years I've seen a lot of change happening but I think as far as like the system is concerned, I don't think that we're going to see like a large change in our lifetime or maybe even our children's lifetime, but maybe, maybe we can set the foundation for something bigger. And that's why, that's why I do my work. I don't know. Like how, like how do you, like how, what's your technique for like continuing to do your work and not get completely despondent at the state of the world? I think when we look at the larger world, it's so easy to get discouraged Mm-hmm. And there's a reality in that discouragement. That's the foolishness of like, this is such a big thing that needs to change in any of the aspects that we're working in, in any of the areas we're working for justice towards. Um, that there, you do have to kind of give up on that hope a little bit that, that things will change significantly. Like, I don't, it, it's that weird tension. Like there's a complexity in there of like where we're hoping, but we're also aware like, the stuff that we're doing is just little water droplets yeah. and like that, that ripple can cause huge change down the road, but that might be change that we never get to see. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, I, yeah. I think it's like, it's like a matter of just like, we have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I've had like, and that's another thing when I'm telling other people who like are aspiring to do this kind of work, who want to like write their story, write, start a blog, mm-hmm. whatever. Is that at the end of the day, like, it's what you said at the very beginning, your work, first and foremost, you don't want to create it for other people. You don't want to go out and mm-hmm. create a piece of art because you think that's what the people want. You mm-hmm. create, you create the podcast, the blog, the video, um, the, the, you write the book, um, you do whatever it is you're doing because there's something inside of you that is dying to be made. It's not like, you know, if we're going to go with like, marrying together Rob Bell's How to Be Here and Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm -hmm. It's almost, I see it as like this like partnership between myself and the Holy Spirit of like, God is saying, hey, I want to make this. Do you want to partner with me to do it? Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to say, yeah, I do. Because at the end of the day, like, I don't, I mean, I would be making the podcast regardless if I was, if I had any support on Patreon. Like I would be making the videos regardless of whether I, um, regardless of whether it was like, you know, creating any revenue because I needed these things when I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, Oh my God. Have you seen Nanette on oh, yeah. Netflix? Yeah. Remember I was, I am you to watch it. Oh, like I'm crying. Just think <laughs> like, I watched it and sobbed. Yes. Because like, she's like, she, she's like, she gets up there. And if you haven't seen Nanette, if you're listening to this, like turn off this podcast, cancel your day. Go watch it right now. Cancel your night plans mm-hmm. or you will be canceled. Just kidding. Just, I'm not going to cancel you. But, but get some uh, tissues and be aware that it can be really emotional. Like just really be prepared. Emotional. 
emotional, perhaps a little bit triggering for yes. people who've got um, sexual assault history. Um, but she says something so profound. She's just like, I tell you my story because my story is, is valuable. Yeah. And she's just like, and, and then she said, because what I, should, I would have given anything at age 17 to hear a story like mine. Yeah. And I get so emotional thinking about that. Cause like, what if like you or I like heard stories like ours when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. I think about what if, like, what if I was able to actually come out in high school, like when I originally did, what if I could have not had to go through reparative therapy? Um, There's all these different ones, like what kind of world, like what kind of life would I be leading? And I can't know that. And I, you know, I don't try to live in that hypothetical space, but I'm hoping that if I can tell my story in a way that communicates that there is a better way of living and that it does in fact get better, um, that maybe there's going to be some kid in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, who's going to be able to say, you know what, like maybe get a little bit of that, their own foolish hope, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got real emotional just then. Yeah. Well, it's true. And I think like, and that that's another thing is like every person who wants to share their story, I think should like yes and 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 there's something to be said about sharing before you're ready to share which i think is really important because i think we can we can use like i know i've done this before especially when i was just starting i used my blog as like a personal journal slash therapy session which is a terrible place to air all your grief out there about other people which is a terrible decision like don't do that (laughs) yeah I will and, second that emotion. Yeah, it's like like Brene Brown talks about like I I don't ever share anything until I feel like I've processed it. Like I can't remember exactly what she says. Um but it, but it it kind of has that that energy to it of like until I'm confident that I'm not like being like spilling out all my shit online, um I won't share a story until I've worked it through. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really good advice. And I think every single one of our stories deeply matters. And I know that sounds like a cliche already. Like uh, so many people are saying that, but every single one of us have our own stories that are distinctly different. We have distinctly different life experiences and the more of us who share, the better the world gets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's the, ma- also you're still there, right? Yes. Okay, cool. I didn't know if it just went silent. <laughs> Um, that was all I had to say. <laughs> period. You put a period on that, and that was aggressive. It was. Um, but I think there's also like this expectation um, that the society has put on us that like if we share our story, it has to explode and become viral and all these different things, and that's simply just not the case. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, the reality of the, of of the internet is that some people are going to notice, and most people won't. Um, but the, th- the thing I am comforted by is that our stories will find their way into the hands of people who need it. Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I am someone who is a mystic mumbo jumbo, which I totally am and believe that, you know, God is working in all things, then I, I believe wholeheartedly that my story is going to find, it's going to land where it needs to land. It's going to find the person it needs to find. Mm-hmm. And it, and you know what? That and so like, 
I said this to a few people. It was like, all of us are uniquely positioned to reach a group of people that no one else is uniquely positioned to reach. Yeah. So if you are from small town USA and you're a queer person and you start telling your story, you're going to reach all those small town USA kids out there who are from like, who experience the same thing as you. Cause like, I don't have that life experience. Um, I grew up in, you know, white uh, middle-class suburbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's that, that's an experience I can't ever have, mm-hmm. but, or, and the same thing for like, um, you know, if you're have different identifying or different intersectional identities, you know, I can never tell the story of queer, queer people of color. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if someone who's like who, someone who's a visible person of color mm-hmm. and what it's like to walk around with your identity on your skin, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. So it's like telling these stories is, you know, you may not, it's like one of these things, you may not change the whole freaking world, but you're going to change somebody's world. Yes. And that I think is the important thing to remember that you uh, do it for yourself, do it because there's a thing that you're creating and know that someone out there is going to find benefit because of your bravery. Right. And, and that in itself will change the world. Like, I, I, I mean, that sounds like so overstated and just like, like, woo, like we'll change the world. But like, I mean, I, so I was, this is, I, I don't know what I was doing, but I was like reading about like the butterfly effect on, on Wikipedia, mm. <laughs> right. like a couple of weeks ago. And that idea that, that like the flapping of a butterfly's wings in China can change weather patterns and cause like something major happening in the U S like, and it's, it's scientifically proven um, that huh? every, yeah, um, that not like necessarily specifically to the butterfly, but it's scientifically proven that that's possible, that like everything is so interconnected that anytime something as minor as even a butterfly flapping their wings can change and alter the entire world. The entire universe. The entire universe. And that is is not overstated. Like that is a scientific truth. Mm. Um, And so you sharing your story, us sharing our stories, us choosing to live authentically and fully into who we were created to be alters the very universe. And every single one of us doing that changes things. Mm. It's astounding. It really is. Mm. Ah. That's so good. Yeah. It's wild. I, Go read about the butterfly effect. It's really fun. <laughs> I'd say so. I um I keep thinking about the just how like one little I mean like, you know, one little thing does change someone's world. And I've said I've told the story before, like I swiped right to a guy on Tinder who invited me to the Reformation project. Mm-hmm. And my whole world was changed. Mm-hmm. And that person ended up being Brett Trapp. Amazing. Who who then began his own blog a year or so later and changing the lives of so many Southern queer kids and mm-hmm. the relationship of their family. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's weird and crazy. And it all happened because of just an arbitrary thing on my phone. Yeah. You never know what you can do by showing up with your full self. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's that old adage of uh, by being yourself fully like you give some, you unknowingly give permission to other people to be themselves as well. Yep. Yeah. Mm. I I think I said earlier the word scientific fact, and 
I'm caught up on that now because I, there's like really no such thing as scientific fact. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that just discredited everything I said. But yeah, anyway. it's also we're also gay and we don't listen to the Bible, so discredit everything <laughs> completely. I'm not a, like I'm not a biblical Christian. I throw it out. I have no regard for scripture or orthodoxy. Obviously, Kevin, someone's going to take that and use it against you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I mean, they already have. Let's be well, honest. Okay. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. Just for the record, I do like the Bible a lot. It is. It's my God book for laugh, y'all. Mm. You did not like that at all. <laughs> it's like I think you're one of those people. Just like I think it's because I'm in the South so much, and like I can joke about these things because I'll go to a coffee shop. And every single coffee shop in Atlanta, there's some like Theobrogen hipster pastor having a Bible study. Oh, totally. And they're, they're talking about just like, listen, I just like, we're just trying to like build authenticity and community and discipleship. And I'm like, what do you, <sighs> what do you even mean by that, bro? Yeah. Like all of your, all these words have lost their meanings now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm trying to reclaim discipleship. Like I want to, I want to, cause like when I think about discipleship and this is me going on a random tangent, I know, but just bear with me. Okay. But I think Jesus wasn't teaching people what to believe. Jesus people, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus people. people, Jesus was teaching people how like a different way of viewing things, like basically giving them a framework of how do I ask better questions of, of people? I think that's what Jesus was doing. Like he was showing people like a different way of living, not a different way of believing because mm-hmm. Jesus was still very much a Jew. Yeah, you know he's still very observant of those laws. He was just showing people a better way to live them out, and I think that's, I think that's in a way like, what like what Christianity is doing right now is like we're we're finally getting to a place where we're we're asking better questions, mm-hmm. and I think I think that's what's going to lead us towards better things. So like I I want to do the same thing. Like if I am a discipler or somebody, if people are following me, I don't really want to tell people what to believe. I just want to teach them like, how do you ask the questions that are going to lead you to a better practice? Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like I I honestly really don't believe that life is about answers. Um, But that might have to do more with my Enneagram type than, (laughs) than, than anything. All the ones are like, what? Because um. <laughs> <laughs> you are, for the record, you are a seven. I am a seven. Yes, <laughs> with a six wing or a, not an eight wing. Yeah, six wing. Yeah, okay. I thought I was an eight wing, and then I went and hung out with Suzanne Stabile for a little while, and realized very quickly that I am a six wing because my life is filled with anxiety. <laughs> <sighs> but um, all of that to say, I really don't believe that life is necessarily about answers. Um, mm-hmm. it is about the questions and like you were saying, asking better questions and, and how do we explore more deeply, um, that, that question of how do we live? How do we live? Like, that feels like the big, the big question of, of life. And mm. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I have more to say about that either. Like, <laughs> Well, you know, there was a certain song that says, how do I live without you? Mm-hmm. I want to know. Mm-hmm. How do I breathe without you? If you ever go, how will I ever survive? How do I, how do I, oh, how do I live? But she said, how do I, she didn't say live though. She said, how do I leave without you? With like a really hard E sound instead of a I sound, but. I don't know that I've ever heard this song. 
Oh, are you kidding me? How do I live without you if you ever go? I think it's Shania Twain. How do I ever, ever survive? No? Not ringing a bell? Uh, I mean, maybe like really faint. Like if it was before 2009, that's... Oh, my... Uh, I, uh... I mean... That's the reality of being homeschooled. <laughs> okay, you know, that's real. That's real. That's real. Uh, yeah, I, um, didn't, I didn't become aware of pop culture until 2009. So that's that's so fascinating to me. And you know, what one thing I wanted to do is I actually wanted to like get like the the actual biographical story of your life because like I've only actually heard it once, and it was because we went to dinner with uh, Emmy yeah. and future Doctor Mrs. Wife and all those humans at Why Christian. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I ever heard it. And I was like, oh my God, how have I been friends with you for this long and not heard that part of you? Mm. So next time, you know, next time I'm on your podcast, I'm going to interview you. Okay. And uh, I'm going to, we're going to pull an episode 100. There we go. Yeah. Love it. That would be fun. Deal. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Hold him to that. (laughs) (laughs) So I will say, Jennifer Knapp called dibs on interviewing me on my podcast. Bullshit. She did. So Jennifer, if you're listening to this, and I hope you are, <laughs> because you're a fan of my podcast and a fan of Matthias's Robert podcast, I'm not going to fight you, but I think we can do it together. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Listen, me and Jay Knapp grilling you. Mm-hmm. Listen, call, send her a text message. Tell her it's a it's a party now. It's a party. You and Kevin, or or a crowd, depending on. How you like? Was, was it Three's Company? I think that's what the, the, the phrase is. That was my conversation with my BFF, Matthias Roberts. You can get in touch with Matthias Roberts across social media at Matthias Roberts on his website, MatthiasRoberts.com. And be sure to check out his podcast, Queerology, which airs every single week on Tuesdays. And you can get that in Google Play, Apple Store, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And check out um, Queerology Pod, which is the social media handle on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff for that one. Matthias, thanks for being on the show. You're a gem. IOYSM girl. A Tiny Revolution is supported by 126 amazing people on Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's an incredible platform to help people like you who uh, listen to podcasts and watch videos and things like that. It's uh, to help you help us by supporting the work financially. So if you're somebody who is enjoying the podcast, if you think conversations like these are really revolutionary in helping it out, you can do a lot by giving just a little, just one or two dollars a month helps make this work more sustainable. And as somebody who is in grad school, who 
is working, you know, still working, you know, with my social media management job and a few other things, it would be incredibly helpful to have your support to help this podcast and the other content I create be uh, more possible. So go over to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia, learn how to support the work and learn about the sweet perks that are about that are uh, associated with being a supporter. I think that is everything. Once again, go to reformationproject.org and get your tickets for that conference. Go over and follow me on The Kevin Garcia across social media. Get my newsletter um, in your inbox once a week, which is pretty dope. Um, I think that's everything. I love you. I hope you're having a good week. I hope that you are keeping your head above water. I hope that you're thriving. Um, So drink some water. Take your meds. um, Go see your therapist. uh, Move your body. Eat something delicious. Um, go be out in nature a little bit, even if it's just sitting on like a back porch or being outside. I know that walking around, we need to walk around while there's still warmth in the air before the, the cold, uh, dead fingers of winter, like start gripping our bones. And then we can start complaining again of how we wish it was summer because that's how it works for creatures that forget all the time. Or is that just me? I don't know, but that's probably another conversation for another time. But this has been another episode of a tiny revolution. My name is Kevin Garcia and I'll talk to you soon, babe. Bye.